In 2021, Talk About It Outdoors partnered with an industry-leading brand that has stamped its name on the outdoor industry. Cruiser Saddles in itself stands on perfection, and with every climb we make, we elevate ourselves above the rest. In addition to a support to our hunting journey, the men and women behind Cruiser believe in the same principles of life as us. Faith, family, and the blessings of being better as they go in every sit. If your desire to pursue your passions one step ahead of the rest, go ahead and get in the best. Check them out on all the socials or head over to their website at www.cruiser.com. That's C-R-U-Z-R.com. And tell them to talk about it outdoors, boys, and Chasing Weekends sent you their way. The journey of life has a unique way of being able to create tried and true friendships as we go. In forming those relationships, oftentimes good things come to follow. Talk About It Outdoors is proudly supported by Cal Hardy of Arrowhead Land Company. Cal is the leading broker over Georgia and is happy to assist you with finding the place where you can call home. With vast knowledge and an understanding of the ever-evolving real estate market and a unique old-school approach to everything he does, he exemplifies what it means to treat others like you'd want to be treated. Don't settle for being just another number in a phone. Choose Cal Hardy for all your land, home, and commercial real estate needs and become a part of his family. We sure are blessed to have him as a part of ours. Find him on Facebook, Instagram, or give him a call at 770-296-2163. Step back to the times when a feed store was more than just that, and the people inside smiled with friendly faces and provided a place for a talk on life, as well as all your essential farm, livestock, and pet needs. Cherokee Feed and Seed located in Ball Ground, Georgia, with an additional location in Gainesville, are the hometown supplier of all your cattle, equine, and pet needs, with the added addition of being able to keep your deer herd healthy with protein and minerals. They also carry an assortment of hunting blinds and gear, and you can rest easy knowing the people that support local ball clubs and children's sports are who your hard-earned money is going to. The people here greet you with a handshake and a smile, and Cherokee Feed and Seed give more than just a product. They give you a welcome that'll make you return time and time again. Stop in next time you're in the area and tell them you're part of the Talk About It Outdoors family. A few years back, when an overbearing and overgrown backyard became an eyesore, I looked for a solution to resolve. LRS Land Services created a stunning and complete transformation turnkey at an affordable price with their mulching services. Not limited to mulching, LRS can provide turnkey grading and clearing, maintenance, right-of-way clearing, and even development for any and all forestry needs. With an innovative outlook on what is best for your land and a completely different approach than others, LRS can transform your overgrown eyesore into a beautiful landscape of your dreams. Give them a call at 404-889-1105 or check their work out on Facebook at LRS Land Services. Logan and his team are ready to make your land brand new again. Building the foundation of your life starts at the base, and the stronger it is, the better. 
Talk About It Outdoors is proud of our strong partnership with United Concrete and Paving and the foundation of support they provide. Whether your new home being built needs concrete work or that driveway you're tired of beating all the bearings from your pickup needs a paving, Michael and his team can provide any residential or commercial project support you might need from the ground up. If you're tired of tripping over that unsettled patio slab or a future shop build needs a smooth start, United Concrete and Paving can get you going when you need it most. Give them a call at 404-831-3036 and make sure you tell them them TAI boys are where you heard it first. You ready, Nick? Let's do it. All right, everybody, talk about it outdoors live in the Cruiser Saddle Studio, the first show of 2023, and we've got the Alabama Hammer himself, Mr. Number One in the muzzleloader records. Y'all going to enjoy this one. we got a special guest sitting in with us tonight, too. Nicholas may even get to talk a little turkey with this guy we got coming on tonight. Y'all pull up a chair and set a while. It's going to be a fun one. It's a rainy night in Georgia, Nicholas, but you're grinning ear to ear. It must be all the turkey calls you've been making. Well, it's a turd floater out there. Um, it's, it's, that, it's those turkey calls and that delicious food you put out there for us. Well, I'm, I appreciate I'm that. Glad you got to eat. Glad you, you'll be Just asleep. Just a good job. You'll be asleep in an hour. I for probably sure. will be. <laughs> That's the one thing about feeding you. You're going to bed. You're a lot like myself. I like to eat and then relax for a while. So. Oh, yeah. If I want to stay up for a while, I, I have to push myself away from the table. Well, uh, welcome to 2023. It's good to be here with you. It's uh, been an exciting past year. It's been an exciting deer season. We're winding it up down to the last month for us here in Georgia. Great New Year's festivities had by all. I know, uh, well, did you get to watch that football game? I did watch that football game. We're going to talk about that football game? Well, we got to mention it anyway. I know you being an Alabama fan and all, you didn't get to see your team play uh, at a glorious level, but it was uh, during the day and time there it was anyway. Congratulations, and we'll uh, we'll go on to see what happens. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting game with TCU I would, and Georgia on the night. I wouldn't thought they'd been playing who they were playing. I would not have thought that Michigan would have uh, took the beat and they did, but TCU deserves to get in there, and yeah. it's just going to make it even better when we get to knock TCU, and then hopefully they'll erase that UCF record from all those years ago. Do you know that's actually on the record book? Mm-mm. Yeah, they're the co-champions that year in the NCAA rankings the year they claimed that national championship. Really? Yes, sir. I looked that up today. It was a very, very uh, disheartening thing. Somebody said that Alabama could claim just like UCF did if uh, they if they wind up, you know, TCU gets knocked off. They, Alabama could claim a co-national champion. Oh, well, that, so. that's interesting. <laughs> so that's what they said today. Anyway, it's on TikTok. You can't never believe it. But anyway, uh, the I gentle- killed a two hundred inch buck. Did you? No, <laughs> I'm gonna claim it. Oh, you gonna claim a two hundred inch? I like it. I like it. Well, the gentleman that is uh, coming on with us tonight actually did knock down an almost two hundred inch deer in Alabama, and we were fortunate enough to meet him over at the uh, World Deer Expo. He had his deer on display there, a magnificent animal and, and a magnificent guy to be able to take that deer. I, I couldn't disagree, and, and that deer was phenomenal. I mean, it was right there next to us all weekend. We were looking at it. People were coming by, looking at it, taking pictures with it. So, um, yeah. Yeah, what? 
Introduce the fellow. I'm so excited about this one. I can't get it underway. Uh, from over in Coleman County, Alabama, he's a public land hammer. He does have the current number one non-typical muzzleloader record of 196 and 3 eighths inches in the state of Alabama. Michael Perry, welcome to Talk About It Outdoors. Hey, I'm glad to be on you. I appreciate you asking me. Come on, it's a frog stronger down here in uh, <laughs> Bill Hale and Perry counties right now. A few tornadoes that went by, but it's starting to lighten up a little bit, but it's been a rainy, rainy day. Well, hopefully we can be a ray of sunshine on a rainy Tuesday night in your life tonight, Michael. Hopefully we can have some fun with this one. Oh, we will. I know we're going to have some fun, but yeah, we're down here camping and hunting some. I was looking, took a six point the other day and trying to get my wife on one, so it's Nobody else is down here hunting. It's kind of kind of weird. They're still cruising around a little bit, but hey, we're going to hang with it for a few days and see what happens. So. When we met you over at GON, you spent a lot of time right there close to our booth, and we were fortunate enough as, as individuals to get to have conversations with you, and we, we had tried to spin this thing up all season, and we decided it would be best to get you on after season based on you, know, you hunting and us hunting. We just couldn't make it work, but... Getting down to this point in the season, it's uh, it's got to be a an exciting time for you to start getting out and, and showing that deer off again. Do you have any places you're going to, before we get into the story of it, that you're going to take that deer this year? Will it just be at the World Deer Expo? Uh, I'm not sure yet. This is, this is a very possibility. we got a little, uh, the meat processor that does our uh, meat for us, and uh, that's local uh, Weaver's Meat Process, and they're going to have a, I had a, uh, a big day here in a couple of weeks for all their customers and stuff like that, and I might care to it. I've been invited to go to it and maybe do a little book signing and, and talk to people and stuff like that. And There'll be another podcast group there, too, I believe, so we're going to have a little fun there. But I've, so far, I have not planned anything yet, but it's always open and, and you know, very possible. So, Would it be uh, the Southern Outdoorsman? Is that the one that he's been talking about, Nick, that he's going to be at? I don't know if that's the one. Yep. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'd heard him talking on his show that that was that show was coming up next month. Well, um, you know, right away we we can't thank you enough for agreeing to come on with us, share some knowledge on your public ground hunting experience. But before we get into all the the recent years' success, would you mind giving us a little history of where you got you start at and where you began? Well, uh, it's been a, a long time coming. I I grew up on a little farm, twenty acre farm, pretty close to. A, what they call Eight Mile Creek, and it's in some woods and uh, pretty swampy water and stuff like that. And I love trapping, so my dad helped me learn how to trap a little bit. So I've done a bunch of trapping when I was young and squirrel hunting stuff. But we'll go deer hunting with them as I got older with him and his buddies, and they, they mainly chase doe hunts, you know, primitive weapon hunts, you know, meat hunting. Really, didn't really care nothing about big bucks. And and so we just done that. And then when, as we got older, I got uh, involved with uh, going into the military, so I stayed gone for five years. Hadn't killed a deer yet, so I kind of got out of the Navy in 22, or at the age of 22 in 1987, and then uh, probably didn't kill a deer until like 1989, and didn't kill my first good buck till I was like 31 years old. And the, what had brought that on is my brother had killed a 180 at Oak Mogi, this place I'm at right now, and we didn't even think anything about any monsters. And when he, when he took that thing, it, it changed the whole mindset. We got to figure out something a little bit different. So we started changing, quit hunting deer and then trying to hunt bucks. And uh, that is, you know, it's it, sometimes it's rough, but, you know, it's, it can be rewarding. So that's what mainly what I try to do now. So I don't really, you know, try to pass some of the younger stuff unless we get hurt for some meat. But it, it, it took, a, took a mindset change to 
to get away from the meat hunting part, but it, it, I mean, it wasn't that bad. It's just that's why we were raised up, and that's why a lot of people done, and some still do it now. It's just you were deer hunting, so you didn't really think about trying to figure out how to hunt big bucks. Now that year was you said early nineties when he took that deer in the eighties. That was uh nineteen ninety eight, December twenty sixth. So, wow, there was social was media was a thing cool. of the the uh, not really a thing of, <laughs> of, of popularity then in nineteen ninety eight. No, no, there's no something like that. He he made some magazines and stuff like that. We didn't know about record books. You know, he got scored for the record books and grow, you know, one eighty in the eighth, you know, eighteen point big old drop time. Just a, I mean he's a unique specimen. So, matter of fact, I've got him in my house right now and I'm thinking about doing some deer shows and carrying that deer along with some of the other record book deer that we've took off public land and but I haven't got anything lined up yet, but I'm it's you know, we're thinking about it. So now, do you spend most of your time uh, scouting these public land pieces in the off season, or do you pretty much know where you're going back to every year? Do you do you do in season scouting? I do. Uh, well, as soon as the season's over with, uh, and maybe even like if season's still in and I'm done or complete done, I'll go out and just see what's happening, you know, during the end of the season and then postseason, burn up a lot of wood. You know, probably me and my wife will do. So I think we've done like 70 something miles this year. It's, I got general areas, you know, when my, I would recommend anybody, I don't care if you're hunting public land, private land, or what, is, is pick you out of area that you've heard rumors about having big bucks or seen big bucks or talk to biologists or game you know, managers of the areas and stuff like that or anywhere just to find out where, if you want to hunt a big buck, what counties or what public land holds them, and then, then pick you out a spot and then say a mile and a half or so and then learn all the terrain and get out there after season or during season and find out, you know, all the, the food sources, food plots, where people hunt, learn as much about it, and then then try to start figuring out how you want to make a plan to hunt a big buck or or groups of big bucks and stuff like that. So that's that's my mindset. Let me ask you a question, Michael. You going about talking about trapping when you're younger, um, and I don't know if you do much trapping now, but do you believe that trapping can help you find animals like, like far as big game and stuff like that, where deer live, because that's where those predators are going to be. Trapping will will make it will help you learn how animals use train trails, edges, fence lines, you know, gaps, uh, beaver dams, whatever, and and learning and you yourself learning how to make any kind of an animal put its foot on a one inch piece of steel and say if you're hunting or if you're trapping say black warrior men they're in 90 something thousand acres to make that happen it takes a lot it's not an easy thing and you know you got certain scent things you got to do and and you can't disturb the area a whole bunch and stuff like that so it, it helps you break woodsmanship and stuff like that to learn to do that and learn about different animals you know how predators are too and so it's it's a great introduction and and actually like you're even doing it now as you get older to, to help hone some skills learn you know paying more attention to how other animals do and you can put, apply that to you know to deer or whatever i heard that on the podcast today that's what made me ask that question it's talking about you know trapping's you don't hear much about trapping no more and people don't do it as often. And you almost think like you learn so much woodmanship and trapping that people just, they don't do it no more. They just go out opening day, throw a bag of corn out now and, and hunt over <laughs> it and don't, and don't learn how deer move and where they move and where different animals move. Cause most of the time a coyote is probably going to be pretty close to, to where deer are probably living or looking for them, especially right. during the, you know, when they're dropping fawns and stuff. 
fun stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's trapping. I, I wish I could do it more now. I do it every now and then, but it, it interferes with deer season so much now. It's it's hard to do. But, <laughs> right. So, but it's it, a lot of people need to kind of do it to have them with them predators and some. I wish they would figure out a, say, on some. So mainly I'm hunting or, you know, public land. So if they could figure out a way to let people trap, maybe after season some to help with the turkeys and stuff like that because our turkeys is getting wore out by something there's a lot of different things going on and part of it is because nobody really traps and and back when i was younger i remember if you heard about a coyote you know in alabama that was you know amazing because we didn't have them you know they got brought in by fox hunters and stuff like that because they wanted something else to to chase and then then later on here come armadillos and stuff like that you know just things have changed over over the years and so well, Alabama legalizing night hunting for coyotes going into to last year was a big thing for, for the predators yes. and being able to take them out. Now, do you feel like there is a, uh, I guess going right into turkey talk, I mean, I don't want to spin off of it, but do you feel like the nest predation in the, the state of Alabama is, is getting worse or is it getting better? What's your thoughts on that? I think part of it's getting better now. The, the main areas that I hunt, you know, the, but especially the, the say I'm going to say black warrior and people hate that because they hate me promoting it. A lot of people do, but black warrior and backhead national forests, they don't do as much timber management and have as much cutovers and, and a lot of other public land stuff. So that's, that makes that part tough as far as nesting and stuff. But some of the other places are starting to work on that and, and do some more, you know, little cutovers and stuff like that, uh, wood thinning and, you know, the variety of things. I think, we got a few more issues, you know. I, I, which I've seen where they've changed one thing. They don't they don't know how many turkey hunters we got. Period. So they just buy a hunt license. You don't buy any turkey tags or anything like that. Non residents just buy a hunt license. So it's 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 hard to figure out a lot of things out. But but they're going to try to work on it. I'm sure. So to make some you know some more steps. You know, some of us wish they would drop it the harvest number down again. You know, they've dropped it some, but it's. You know, most places in the country, you can't kill as many turkeys as you can here. So, we didn't even get a quarter way through the show, and you didn't talk about turkey hunting. <laughs> that call you made me has ruined me, ain't it? <laughs> Finally found a mouth call I could play without choking on, Michael. We worked on that for two hours the other morning. He's just got me talking turkeys already. Mike, he's giving me a hard time all the time because I try to get on turkey hunting, and I didn't mean to go for the trap. And I just, you know, I just think that that's just a trapping and small game is just such a good way for for kids or anybody to get out after deer season to learn the territory and learn what deer are doing. Cause you can see right. so much better. You can see where the, where the bedding is or where the trails are so much better. So that's kind of what I was alluding to, but I didn't mean to get off on a rabbit hole and I just want to give Alex. Oh, well, it's too. fine. You know, we're, we're, you know, we're all, we're all hunters and trappers or whatever all together. So the big picture is, is all about us. You know, what, no matter what kind of hunting we're doing, we just need all kind of figure out how to get along together and, and help, you know, help create the habitat for everything that we need to to keep the turkeys and, you know, and, and you know, like quail is a big discussion, trying to get quail back to where they used to be, which probably won't ever happen, but you get some of it coming back because a lot of things has changed over the years. And it's, you know, it's our job as, you know, conservationists to, to help with that, you know, by buying a hunt license because that's pretty much where all the money comes from to do this public land stuff and the forward game and fish. So that's right. Let's let's get into let's get into two different topics here because you got you got mountains that you hunt a lot primarily for deer and then you got uh-huh. swamps that you're in now so let's let's talk about mountains uh-huh. first and talk about what you're looking for when you're going into a new place and I know Travis over here on the other side of the table's got a few questions for you and I'm sure we'll spawn up something off of that. 
Well, when I go into a new place in the mountains, I'm just looking for all the edges, all the different timber changes, all the different uh, funnel changes, bluffs, just any kind of habitat change, terrain change and stuff like that, write them down. So, I mean, now you can save them. I grew up, we wrote everything down trying to, but now you can save them with Onyx and stuff like that. You know, look at maps. And I still do way more boot traffic than I do mount scouting because I still struggle with that east scouting stuff. So... I just go out and hit, and me and my wife, we just hit the woods walking and do level changes, go up and down, you know, because, you know, the deer do level changes too. So it's learning all the different types of food sources and stuff like that. And, you know, I love looking for tracks, and that's that's the biggest thing, and then go from there, big tracks, and then trying to figure out exactly where they're going, have where they're bedding at or what different bedding places or different, you know, small cutovers, blow down, tornado spots, stuff like that, just a bunch of different things, and just store all of it, write it down, and uh, if you're, you know, hunting, then coming back after season, or during, late in the season, and see what different sign is, you know, showed up, and uh, we do that every year after season, we're going somewhere new and different, just trying to find something a little bit new to try, or a bigger buck, or whatever, and just, and have at it. <laughs> Hey Michael, this is Travis Dawkins. Um, I I hunt some uh, some mountain territory up in uh, northeast Georgia, close to my cabin, and um, the place that I the place that I hunt is probably around a thousand to two thousand acres, and you know square mile like you were saying. And I've probably been hunting about ten years and never seen anybody else hunting there. Um, so I've been lucky in that respect, but I still consider myself a novice as far as you know learning the woods and. And, uh, I mean, I've only taken maybe, you know, one good buck I'd say in, in 2017 and just hunting a saddle cause I didn't know any better and I, I wasn't listening to podcasts or anything at that time. Um, so I probably sat that saddle for two more years and never saw a big buck in there again. Um, it wasn't until I heard Southern outdoorsmen, um, talk about wind currents and, and, you know, look for terrain features and, um, to try to figure out like where are these big bucks cruising? Cause I can see their sign. The whole woods is lit up with sign and it's like, uh-huh. where do you concentrate your time and effort? And for me, I only get a week during Thanksgiving to go up there during the rut. And I'm kind of on the front end of the rut up there. So it's like, it's a huge area. I, I know the whole mountain now and, and I've been all over and there's sign everywhere. So how do you pinpoint these big mountain bucks that are, you know, they can, they travel. Cause I, I got pictures of them on one side of this, you know, uh, big tract of land I hunt. And then I, I hear a week later, they're killed three miles away. Um, yeah. well, that's during the rut. Most of the time. And that, and that biggest thing with that is, is uh, that's another thing I need to kind of point out. Whenever we do a final area like that, that we're going to hunt, whatever. And we, I kind of have learned and figured out how I think people are going to hunt and, I always try to keep it where I don't interfere or interlude into certain places in the area. Don't over pressure, whatever. Since you're not seeing anybody and not hunting to the rut, is is, you know it's perfect because the easier. You know, I'm not going to say easy, but uh, because a big buck is hard to kill, they just they get that way and it's tough. But a non non pressured or less pressured deer is is you know easier to see. So, you know, keeping up with the doe groups, don't pressure them. Keep a safety zone or area that you don't mess with, period, none of the deer say. That's places that on every place that I hunt that I will not go in, stay on the outskirts, you know. And during early season, I won't even go in on period because if he smells you one time, whatever, it makes it tougher to me. So I just I just plan how I'm going to do it. You know, keep up with the doe groups, especially during the rut. And, you know, what, what 
food sources available during that time of the rut. You know, just hang with them does. Multiple crane features coming together to get a chance of more than one buck. Them travelers that come through from four or five miles away, them's the ones that I've, you know, I've killed most of the time. If I kill one big one like that, it's somebody will have them on camera three or four miles away because it's a place that, that most every buck is going to go through a creek crossing or a bluff gap or a different shelf to go into blowdowns or bedding areas that they're going to check doe groups. And that's, that's what I try to do is, you know, look, you know, stand back and look at the big picture. If, you know, if they're deer from three or four miles away, how are they going to travel that area, you know, to access different doe groups, you know, if it's shells or if it's certain bluff gaps or pine edges or cutover edges or whatever. And uh, just look at that, run trail cameras. And a big thing with that way I run trail cameras is whenever I put them out, Say in June, July, I will not look at them again until say February, March, because I don't, I don't. Like I say again, I less the less pressure, the better. I don't want, I don't want them to know I'm there if I can. So now, as Travis said, up in the mountains, you know, a lot of times because I hunt up in the North Georgia mountains as well, the rut is always seems to be closer December. You know, the beginning mm-hmm. of December, mid December. You know, yeah. those deer are still having to feed, and what I've what I noticed this year was there wasn't. I mean, the woods, as Jason said one time, is just desolate. You know, there's no acorns left. It's all laurel. Where do you see those deer mainly going to feed in the evenings and so forth? Are they finding adjoining property with, you know, maybe some fields or something like that? Are they traveling on to private or do you, what, what are they targeting most do you see in the mountains? Some of it's private land stuff, but I believe most of they know where the, where some browse is and you know some of that laurel stuff has certain little bud things on it that they'll eat and they don't move as much you know we've noticed that, that the scrapes activity and stuff like that has went way down this year because we had zero hardly acorns or at and they hardly any private land around for a long way so but there were deer were still there and they just didn't travel as much they found little thickets of browse and stuff and they would stay there for a while and, and eat and then move to another spot so you never really could find a pattern so that's one thing about when you're doing a postseason scout or some in-season spot checks is make sure you know where these places are at. You know, browse. You know, different browse. If they've done some thinning or something, you know, cause that, the Forest Service will change some stuff every now and then. You might have those cover spots, but you might have to adjust your hunting. But this year was fucking like it's the same in Alabama and, and the mountains. There was no acorns hardly at all, and they but the deer were still there. They just didn't move as much. You know, everybody was griping last year because we had acorns everywhere, but the deer were just, they were browsing around everywhere because they could go anywhere and eat. But it's, but now the pattern is that if there's no acorns, you better be finding with the browse and, and little holes of browse or whatever, maybe some private line edges and then move to that because that, they can find it. They know how it is. And them older does and them older bucks, they know where that stuff is and they're there. So take into account you're hunting a two, three, four hundred acre piece. How many possible stand locations would you say you have on that particular piece whereas you go into a spot and you see somebody in that area and you go into the the next spot and you see somebody there how many locations would you say in a i don't just say 100 acres to be simple would you say you've got an opportunity to hang a stand at or that you've scouted in a hundred acres i wouldn't have that many maybe two of that but so but say a square i don't know square miles what 440 or something like that acre. 280 times 280 so yeah that's pretty close so so in in a in a mile mile and a half area that the places we've got we'll generally have 
six to eight spots, you know, different. But we would do that anyway, regardless if people are there or not, because depending on kind of some, if the winds is pretty consistent, that that we want to make sure that we go to a place that's more for that wind. So we always have. I've always got different places where if somebody's there, I can go by or whatever to a different spot. So keep several. That's one. That's a, that's part of the process of learning your area and have different spots if somebody's there. But you know, generally I'm going, you know, get up early and make sure that I'm you know, the, one of the first ones to the spot or whatever. And then most of the time I've already figured out where people are going pretty much tend to hunt because everybody's got tendencies and what type of stuff they want to hunt. So that I know, you know, I'm hunting more than people are not going to hunt because it's different nastier stuff. It's something that most people ain't going to hunt. You won't see any sign. It's just, you know, bucks using them edges that I like to find that's just kind of secluded and out of the way, different, you know, on different levels. And uh, harder, you know, my billy goat like stuff, you know, where people ain't gonna mess with much, and them bucks learn that. So that's that's the place that I'm looking for. Michael, do you find that the deer primarily like to use the top of the ridges, the bottom of the ridges, the quarter, um, quarter up from the bottom, or, or or are you hunting those at different times of the year? Can you go through that? That's all the above. That it's just like this year. As let's just say we had a drought for a couple of weeks and it dried up all the browse on the top so the deer that we're using upper third dropped down to the bottom that makes it a little bit tougher because and a lot of the mountainous stuff is you're you know it's going the downward thermals that will be pulling for a long time and during then it's hard to get in there without them knowing you're there so you gotta i have that's all just you just gotta learn it from year to year you know i prefer to hunt above you know, in the mornings when I'm hunting but that don't mean I'm hunting hunt from the top you know if they're using the lower third you know, I, I, I like being above them. That's just me. You know, you hear talk about the thermal and stuff like that. But sometimes if you can come in from the bottom and get higher, you know, without, you know, I do that. But it just depends on the specific situation. Because the biggest thing is getting in there without them, without them knowing you're getting in there. So, so it could be, it just depends. But I, I, the, the bucks, to me, bad, whether it's higher or low, they're always going to have a a sight advantage where if they're in the bottom, they're going to be up on something where it can see down or where they can escape down if they, if they need to be or up or whatever. But always, to me, all the books, beds I ever found is always above something. So with some kind of hard background behind them generally where they, you know, it's hard for anything to get behind them. So. Do you, do you find that those books, if you have jumped them or seen them bed down, do you find that they always lay with the wind blowing across their back? I, most of the time, I think it's always coming over the back. Generally, yeah. you know, they, and I and I see and I see a lot of them where they travel when they come out of the bed. They go with that wind still over the back because they know that was where they come from was safe. You know, so they use they're using that and then watching in for you know watching in front of them checking stuff out. But whenever they escape run from something, they're going right back to that wind where they come from. So. You think a buck primarily beds? And I know you just kind of said that real quick, but do you think it would primarily bed on top of a ridge to get the air coming across the top of is blowing its back or would it go down to a bottom so it could get a swirling wind well for that's they can be both ways you know they're gonna get where they're gonna if it's rut and they're trying to look for does they'll get on these little point things that's in these old what they call thermal hub with the wind just and it and it, if you hunt mountains you know and i know i'm talking about it, it the wind will be going five different ways within 30 minutes you know so they get them, they love getting them spots and that's the spots i love to hunt and it's hard to go in there because a lot of people that's panicky about the wind, you're going to be panicky because that wind is going to be changing. That's why I try to stay above and hopefully 
a lot of it will go above them. And most of the time, if the buck's there, by the time he's measured, you, you'll generally have a shot, hopefully. But the more wind that comes to them, they use that on them them uh, rut funnels or uh, we used to call them wagon wheels, crow feet or where more stuff comes together and the thermals to whichever advantage they're using where it's coming down or up, they, they're using so funny that you listen to a lot of these shows or watch a lot on tv now it's midwest hunting where they're like i got that east wind today i'm gonna go and i'm like yeah i'm gonna do that i'm gonna go up here on this ridge and get on that east wind and i get there i'm like this song goes blowing <laughs> yeah. west it ain't blowing east and i'm sitting there a minute oh, it's going north now it's going every which way it's like a tornado yeah. I, that's something i don't even look at anymore i don't look at which way the wind that, that they're saying because as i go in i don't care if it's coming on my back you know going to where i'm hunting at, and I, I know that gives me an idea. I know where it's going. So when I get there, if I want to be hunting below the trail, I just step over the trail and hunt, you know, like that, you know, just depending on which way the wind is when I get there. But as long as it's not blowing to where I think they're coming from or where they're going, the wind don't bother me. So. Love it. Well, wind timing is uh, everything. Travis, what else you got, bud? I got it. So you talk about whether you're going to hunt the tops or the bottoms. So where I hunt, you know, one side is a, you know, it's cliffed out. And there's a, a fire road that goes all the way up to the top of the cliff. And that's where I've kind of narrowed them down. I've narrowed down where I think they travel from and kind of where they're going to. And on the other side mm-hmm. of the road is kind of a, a smaller mountain where that's where I killed my, my good buck and, you know, missed this really good one this year. Um, so, I'm, you know, I've always got the decision because there, there's no other hunters in there. I'm like, am I going to climb that big mountain, you know, a mile up on this big cliff where I see, you know, it's tore up with sign. Or am I going to stay down here on the bottom where I killed this other buck and miss this really good buck? Um, and, you know, both sides of the road are always near scrapes everywhere, all across this fire road. There's rubs everywhere. Um, so I've, I'm always torn. Like I showed up first day of Thanksgiving and where I knew there was a, you know, a big scrape the year before. Wasn't a scrape there. So I got discouraged. So I, I kicked some leaves around and peed in it. And, Next morning, I'm like, I'm I'm not going to go sit there because I didn't see any sign. Well, I show up the next morning, I scout around, and I'm like, man, I'm not seeing any sign anywhere. So I'm like, I'll just go sit over there. Well, I go over there where I peed in that scrape, and, and I jump up. You know, it's probably about a 115, 120, and he runs 50 yards, <clears throat> looks at me, and I'm shaking like a leaf, like, you know, <laughs> excited. And I'm like, man, I wish I had a rest, but he's looking right at me. So I take a shot and I text Nick about this when it happened and sent him some pictures of blood and like, Hey, do you think it was a good hit? Like I was shaking like crazy and ended up, you know, called blood tracker and, and didn't recover the deer. Um, and then we think he's still alive. I got pictures of him, but I doubted myself cause I knew that was a good spot and I knew there was sign all over there. So that's the choice I got is like, do you go high? Do you go low? How, if there's no sign, but you know they always use that area, do you hunt it anyway? So those are the things going through my mind. Well, you always trust your gut, and that's my thing. Is trust your plan, trust your gut, no matter you know what comes out. Because I mean, if you don't, you're gonna worry yourself to death up in the tree. So, but I'm one of them. I'm one of the guys that'll say, hey, if you see a big buck there, if you kill a big buck there, if you get a big buck on a hard horn and on a camera picture, he's there for a reason. So, you know, you can kill multiple bucks in the same spot they're like i say they're there for a reason so i mean i don't the sign part i don't really care about i don't i want to see them or killing them is what is what i'm looking for having a hard horn camera picture you know so 
to me, if you get a hard horn camera picture of a buck, you know, just like I say, a big buck track somewhere, I mean, it's there for a reason, whether it was jumped or pushed or dogs dog running or just feeding through or chasing those, that big buck was there for a reason. you got to figure out why and hopefully about when he was there to, to make a plan. So go with your gut feeling. I'm I'm scared to hunt a bunch of sign because most of the time in my life, hunting a bunch of sign has, has not paid off for me that much. So, you know, unless it's early season bow hunting, I might, you know, scrape hunt and stuff like that. But after that, whenever that pre-rut stuff kicks in, I'm I'm looking for the areas where travelers are, you know, your best opportunity at more than one big buck, where three or four would come through going to look for does or check bedding and stuff like that. So that's that's my mindset. What's the, what's the biggest thing, Michael, That and, and you've done several, several podcasts, what's the biggest thing that, over, that people overlook when they're, when they're mountain hunting that, they, that you don't hear enough about? Boys are tough. I wish you'd told me that. Ahead of time. <laughs> Sorry about that. We can come back. Yeah, to we that. Come. You can think on that one for a minute if you want. Well, uh, that'll go back to the sign thing. Don't worry about the sign. You know, trust your gut. Find you know, tr- your know, train features mean more to me than anything on something like that. A, a deer, a deer is going to travel as a least path of resistance, correct? Right, uh, yeah, but some of it, I'm telling them big old bucks, them dang nasty boulder fields, and you look like goat country and stuff like that. They love it. They can, they can get through that stuff. It's amazing how fast and and if they need to. And so it, it big bucks like finding places where they feel safe no matter what, and they'll stay there. And I've kind of noticed over the last few years, you know, I've been talking to some other people since this podcast stuff. I've been doing. I've met several people, and it older bucks say five and older even in velvet and they find a place that they're secure and feel safe they stay there you know pretty much year round as far as the cover and the bedding and stuff and that's i found that out here lately or some last couple of years of camera data that that some of these big old bucks that once they find an area like that and how nasty it is you know that's where they're gonna be and you just gotta not let them know that you're hunting them and stay on the edges you know you got people that want to push and hunt you know, specific beds and stuff like that. But ninety percent of the time in them mountains, them suckers are using them thermals. They're in like y'all got y'all got like hemlock and anything like that, or real deep thick monk laurels and stuff like that. That stay the downward thermals will pretty much be pulling nearly all day, at least past lunch, and it's it's almost impossible to get anywhere near them without them knowing you're there so, by the wind. So it's and so I just I leave them places alone and just learn where they're at and you know try to edge, just trying to figure out how you would come out of it and then and try to ambush them. Do you think you said something early on that's got me to pondering with the limiting factors that people take deer anymore? Cause there's deer hunters. Aren't the deer hunters they were in the nineties. They don't kill as many does. They don't kill as many small bucks. Do you think it's making these bigger bucks harder because they don't have to travel as far to look for does with people not taking as many? That's very possible. I mean, it's, uh, that's that's a tough question there, but it, it's it's very possible. You got people that's being you know more selective like that, not meaning those. Like I noticed, I think last season the place I hunted, they there was ninety something big bucks killed or ninety something bucks killed, and the majority of them was past four year old others. So they were passing young ones, but that, that helps their way. But it's just. It could be you know having a problem with more does and they're not moving as much. It's that's that's tough, but it's I wouldn't worry about it if it was me. I would just you know just keep hunting where you are and you you just you gotta maybe adjust yourself and it makes you a better hunter, you know, because like here we can't use any kind of bait or anything like that. So that's you can throw that out. So you gotta figure out you know the acorns or 
you know, honeysuckle patches, you know, green bar patches, stuff like that, and, you know, brow, certain brow lines, thinnings, cut over, whatever, and try to figure out how they're using that to do that. So it just learned, learned to be a better hunter by using, you know, the train for you to access without them knowing you're getting there and then leaving as little thin as possible, you know. You know, if you can run cameras, run them, and you know, but don't check them that much. Just leave them. You know, some people are using cell cameras now. It's most of the places where I hunt, they won't work, so that's that's not a not much of an option for us here. So, so but, when, you, um, yeah. when you're saying trust your gut and you look for terrain features, and you're like, I know a deer is going to come through here. Will you sit the same spot? I think I heard you say this on another podcast, but will you sit the same spot two, three days in a row instead of? Being like, okay, I didn't see anything today. I'm gonna move and go over here and see if they're over here. I've sat them seven days in a row. I mean, it's, with mountain hunting and, and big woods hunting, especially like the low deer density places, they they you gonna have them that run four or five miles, and it might take three to five days for them to make a loop. You know, if they get hung up with a doe for a couple of days, whatever. So, I, as long as I'm accessing, that's the access thing is trying not to interfere with any deer going in. Don't cross any trails. You know. It, it keep you know lights minimum and stuff like that and then i'll hunt as long as i'm not over intruding i'll hunt it three or four days in a row because during the rut you've only have certain days you can hunt so and weather's going to get you screwed up on some of it so you, your best areas or the best things that you've learned you've got to do it because you don't have no other option to me i mean i don't yeah. you can't move around a whole lot you get to jumping too much you start chasing your own tail and that that could, that could create a worse problem than than sitting somewhere for five days so. now on these public lands every time you go back in there depending on i don't know how far you're pushing back into some of these properties are you hunting primarily out of a saddle deer stand or, or you just hunt off the ground if you got a muzzleloader or rifle uh, most, no, it's, I, I'm not the only, I got a, the saddle I use is the, uh, JX3. That's way more comfortable for me. So I can't, you know, that's, that's the only one I can use. Them other ones are, I'm a bigger guy. I, I can't, there ain't no way I can do that. And I'm older too. So, but that and the lock-ons and the climbers, I'm, I'm, I'm flexible about stuff like that. You know, I'm being kind of mobile. I don't, I don't want to, you know, you get too permanent, it, it could be rough, but I'm just, I'm just, I'm more flexible. You'll climb over the variety of things. If I, I love putting a lock on, like down here, I got to put a lock on in a, a beech tree where you can get them limbs and stuff. And, you know, it's in, it's in a swamp, say 30 yards in the edge of a swamp where they're crossing different ways going to the pine edges where the does are bedding. So I, I, you can get in them little uh, trees like that and stay hitting them limbs because them deer pop out like that one I killed the other day. Is, 25 i could have shot him with the bow when i seen him so it was it, but i love things we can get a lot of cover so i don't I'm hunting on the ground i won't do it because i can't hear that good and if i have one come up on me on the ground it's going to be from the right side when i'm pretty much deaf at and then i can't do anything so i'm, I'm terrified of being on the ground i won't be up there air at least 10 12 foot so Need to try one of these cruisers out. Get you in the cruiser saddle, Michael. Maybe, maybe that maybe that comfort level will change for you. We get you in one of those. We might we might have you. Nicholas made a video and put it on YouTube called "Saddle Hunting for the Big Boys." Maybe go over and check that right. out. See what see what he, see what you think about it. Uh, now, Alex, I'm only two twenty five. Okay, check out. Yeah, two twenty five. Well, we go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, but that's one of my things is just be, you know, flexible and mobile as you can. Don't, you know, you got to, you know, and plus your comfort is the biggest thing, you know, comfort where you can sit because I want to sit 
odd times. Like me and my wife will sleep in and you say, go in hour after daylight or two hours after daylight and hunt past lunch because I love doing that. You know, break, break the times up. You know, don't, you know, she can't only, she's not only be able to hunt a half a day because we've got some little dogs that she's taking care of. So we just, we kind of split that up, but mix it up on some, some of that stuff. So don't, don't get patterned is, is a big thing to you. You don't want to pattern you. So. Do you find deer on public land and target a specific deer or are you just going hunting? Well, I've done that one time and that happened last year. That's the monster one. So, and that's, I had him on camera for a couple of years and I kind of had figured out what I thought he was doing and it just worked out perfect. So, but yeah. most of the time I'm looking for, I want the spot where I got a chance at four or five different ones that are big. So. Right. Taking, taking the public land, I guess, conscious effort going in there that you're going to put yourself in the best position to get on a big buck as opposed right. to trying to target one deer has made you more successful over the years. Yeah, it's, that one buck thing, you know, it's tough, especially in the you know, big wood stuff, because if you overpressure that sucker, that's it, it's over with. That sucker going nocturnal. He won't leave, but he'll go nocturnal, and he'll have you figured out pretty quick. He'll listen to, to odd things. They pick up odd noise. You know, people think that they don't pay attention to four-wheelers, trucks, or certain things. Them suckers, like, if anything sounds, it's different. That They know not, don't belong there, and they're not going to go toward it. So that you can you just got to be real careful on, on a, trying to target an individual bug. You better play that perfect. So I'll do it early season before the rut outside of the main areas that I hunt. And then after that, I'm going for the, the great, you know, rut funnels or, you know, junctions, wagon wheels, you know, thermal hooves, stuff like that, creek crossings, you know. I love hunting places that's got something to do with the creek crossing. So that's my main thing that I love to do. I think you will go back to woodsmanship with that, though, with you were talking about your trapping days and just learning woodsmanship in general. I would venture to say that at least 50% of the hunters that are out in the woods today have no idea what you're talking about when they say, even as simple as a creek crossing. I mean, they walk up and they see a game trail there. Well, how do you determine if that game trail is a deer crossing or is it all sorts of coons or possums or armadillos or what? You, you or just those. Yeah, know, exactly. A lot of times folks don't use them. So you, you go into the thought process of putting people in a position of not knowing, and the good thing and the cool thing about podcasting or YouTube or whatever, it gives you an opportunity to educate people on how to find that stuff. And I guess if you were in the 90s, you, if you didn't spend time in the woods, you were, you were pretty much screwed. You just didn't have anybody to go with. You just went out and figured it out for yourself. So... I, I it's, right. it's there's goods and bads with social media where there are today, and I think the podcasting side of it's been a great thing for people to be able to learn things from. Right. Now, now uh, the podcast and YouTube thing is, I, I mean, it's amazing. I listen and watch a bunch of stuff, you know, because even as my age, I hear you know things I want to try or pick up. Well, that's neat. I'm going, I never thought about that. So, looking at all that, listening to it, and another thing is like. You're talking about the trapping. They have like they have trapping workshops in here in Alabama. The conservation department do have during the summer. So I would man, I would be all about some people just doing that, learning a different type of thing about animals. They I mean, you know, they give you a different mindset. And, you know, that's why I like doing different hunts when I can. You know, out west and stuff like that because things like that are you know you learn different things, learn how to use that stuff, and you kind of you, know, you can apply it to a different aspect here and stuff. So uh, doing something a little bit different outside of your you know, comfort zone with different animals will help you, you know, be a better deer hunter. Are you a turkey hunter, Michael? A little bit, yeah. 
but I, I get so hung up on scouting during that time frame. I can't hear that good, and it's it's hard for these dang mountains. And if y'all know about the mountains on Turkey, you can't figure out what them are. They can gobble one time, and I can't tell if they're behind me, in front of me, or what. So I have to go with somebody most of the time. So, but I do love it. I mean, I, I mean, it's a a very fun you know sport, and I do love it. So yeah, but I do I don't do it. If I turkey hunt like a deer hunted, I wouldn't have a wife or anything. So that'd be rough. I should have let you ask that question, Nick. I could have, I could have talked some crap to you on that one. Oh, he's a deer hunter. He ain't no turkey hunter. Shut up, Nick. I'm up here making faces at him, Michael. Michael, have you have you noticed a public land explosion of people since? Um, and I'm not going to single out just the hunting public because everybody has to kill a deer on public land now to say that they're they're a deer hunter. But have you noticed a big explosion in that? At, at times, the COVID thing was a big explosion. You know, there was a bunch of them, and you know. Some people say it had something to do with the podcast or, you know, some of the YouTube stuff. But, I mean, but but back when I first started going with my dad and them, there was way more people hunting publicly in then than now. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, it's still nowhere near, so it don't bother me a bit. You just, it just makes you a better hunter, and they're not going to kill them all. I don't care what you think. So it's, so most of the, you know, that the conservation folks controlling what's, getting killed and if you're having mostly buck hunts you know you know if they kill bucks you know they're not killing those you still there's gonna be some bucks left to breed them so they're gonna still you know grow the population still grow like crazy so and they when them when they figure out people getting hunting them anyway they they change their way they actually they're not you know even gonna come close to killing all of them so i don't i don't really worry about it but people get panicky about you know people putting pictures of deer in front of them and their signs and stuff like that and it's 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 not right because that's our land and then you know it's public land and, and if you're not using it if you're not sharing it and people i mean like i say if people are not using it you know they we've lost a bunch of it since i've been growing up so i'm going to advertise it and i mean it's a good thing that we got it we would real i wish we had more of it so it's it's but i you know i can't afford to buy my own hunt land or anything like that so you killed that 196 and said where it was at. I bet there was more people in the state of Alabama chasing a dead deer than there was chasing him when he was alive. I can promise you that. Uh, and that's true, and that's another thing. I mean, I'm, I'm not bragging or anything, but I've been posting pictures. You know, I, I killed a big one with a bow about two two years before that, posting pictures in front of the sign and some other ones, and they were giving me heck about that. And then I ended up still killing a monster one with a mud loader, so it didn't affect me that much. So. And it won't affect anybody else if they if they just keep hunting and don't worry about stuff like that. You know, trust what you're doing. You know, trust your plan, trust your scouting and all that, and just do it. Don't worry about them people. You know, or the talk. Just you know, trust yourself. So. Well, we've talked about this before on the show, and it, when you've got an influx of people on a piece of public ground, if it's a sizable piece of property, it almost helps you a little bit with a mature buck because it's going to get him up on his feet. So finding an escape route or a hole that he hides up in and finding that spot that nobody else is going to look for may be beneficial to you with more people there. That's exactly right. Because from the years I've been running trail cameras, you know, there's only very few days that a mature buck is going to be in a, up on his feet in the daylight naturally. So, so you, you can take that, you know, with a grain of salt, so, but more people could help you. So that's, that's, that's what I think about it. So I don't worry about the people because, there's only, like I said, there's only a few days. That monster buck I killed in two years of camera pictures of him, I had two, I think, in the daylight. You know, so with a total of only about 10 or 12 pictures, period, and there's only a certain time of the year. So, But, I, and I, but I'm pretty much sure that I know exactly – what hundred acres he was hanging out in? He was he was just staying there, and was the only time he'd move around was go check on a doe every now and then. And that was it. That time he was sold up. So, 
Michael, I say I know you say you don't care, you know, about people talking or anything like that. But have you had it in a polite way? Have you had to educate on anybody um, about hunting public ground, or you've you've beat someone to a spot or anything like that? Have you had a altercation with anyone? The worst one I've had is turkey hunting. So I've had a few, you know, you know, deer hunting, but it's nothing been bad. But I've had I've had a rough one one time with with a turkey hunter. So okay, but. I mean, it, it's going to happen. I mean, you just, I don't, I don't like when people do that. They think they own the place and stuff like that. I mean, but you're going to have ones that do it. You know, they're going to have people that, I mean, that do bad stuff, but I, I don't worry about it. I, you know, I have my wife with me and stuff like that. So I don't, I don't worry about five trucks being parked at a gate because these, most of these places like that, they're, they're long roads and there's, 40 to 50 or more ridges or hollers that you can hunt where there's no way everybody can cover all the places. So, but the people that do that, I mean, that's, I mean, I don't worry about them, but I, like I say, I've had a few things, but it's, it's just nothing, nothing to worry about. So I don't, I mean, if you worry about stuff like that, you're going to just, just start going on guiding hunts, I guess, or paint hunts. <laughs> but they hit the house. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, let's, yeah. Let's shift gears real quick, and I know we got a little bit of time here, but let's shift gears and talk about some swamp hunting because just like Al- just like Alabama is and Georgia's the same way. We, I mean, we get you can go from mountains to to Piedmont area down to the swamps. So, mm-hmm. how much different is your hunting strategy and how you look for deer in those areas? Are you just looking for thicket? Are you still looking for those bottoms where those creeks come together? What run us through that real quick. <laughs> Well, it's bigger. Well, the swamp hunting is, I'm automatically going to be low. I mean, you know, you hear people, you can hear me, you know, they say, well, he strictly hunts in the, on the ups. But then when I come down to the swamps, I'm hunting in the bottoms in the mornings and stuff like that. Because, but I'm hunting places in the swamp. I don't really go to the middle of the swamp. I'm, I'm looking for an edge somewhere where I can go 20 yards or so in the swamp. And, and I'm actually bumping up against two or three edges you know where or different train features pine thickets stuff like that just a just a funnel or you know where a wagon wheel coming together or a crow foot coming together the more things three or four trails come together and it's a thick we've got some old green things that stay green down here all the time and they just use that to slip through they're like they just pop out of a shadow and, and you just see them so the thicker the better that's already most of the time i'm i'm coming down when it's been a lot of pressure already so they they already been pressuring. They're using that traveling more, popping to different different pine thickets, different cutovers, and you know food plots possibly, or different areas where people are are hunting. So it's it's somewhere in the swamp where multiple things coming together on the edge, where I don't have to go. I don't want to walk into the middle of the swamp because it's it's hard to get in there without leaving a bunch of scents. I'm I'm just popping into 20, 30 yards in the edge, you know, where I can see where they could cross three or four different ways in front of me at. 40 to 60 yards at the max so do you find that most bucks will travel would would prefer to go through just directly through the swamp versus using the hardwoods or anything like that all the ones i've killed down here well one the biggest one i killed he was he was going into the swamp coming out of a pine edge you know pine little slight pine ridge i was hunting them just above it but most of them are going to use it. They're going to cut that edge, or as soon as they, because they like going, they don't like traveling across the open one, especially when a lot of pressure's already been on. So they just, they're p- popping out of them pines and going straight to that thick green little bushy stuff in the swamp, and they're just using that to go to another pine edge or something like that. They're always staying in some kind of edge or 
dark spot. That's not, so it's very rare. It's been the sunlight. It's or in the open. So they they're just cutting food, looking for does, or going different edges and stuff. So the thicker the better, and uh, stay out of the open stuff. So when when you talk about hunting these bottoms in the morning time, does that is it because it's such a low line area with no hills or anything like that? Is your thermals getting out of there so quickly that you're able to pull that off? Yeah, when the sun comes up, it just it, it kind of burns. It's like burning off a fog. I well think about it. And plus, I, it's, there's, there's it's easier to have a constant wind. But the areas I'm going to hunt, it's I don't worry about the wind because there's they can come from three or four different ways. And I'm like I say, I'm only I'm only going to be there for a four or five day hunt. So I've got like two or three of these places that I go to, and then. I'll, I'll stick with it. If, you know, the tracks, that's one thing about, you know, fresh sign, what I talk about, I don't worry about the sign, but in the swamps, the, you know, you want fresh tracks. You know, if you, there's fresh tracks in there crossing, big tracks, stuff like that, then they're in there using it. So I always do a little spot check, and then I'm, I'm going to hang with them. So. What do you find yourself hunting when it gets late season? And I know the, the rut is a little different in Alabama versus Georgia, but as the rut's winding up in Alabama and it's late season, there's not much food. What are you primarily focusing your hunting? And this goes for swamp and mountain hunting. Okay, well, my the little benefit of where we're hunting at in Alabama is I can I can follow the rut all the way to the end of the season. So mm-hmm. after we leave here and get in into January more, the next two million areas that I'll go to has got a lot of cutovers and there's always plenty of browse and stuff in them cutovers. You just look for one that you can actually hunt, you know, and two or three year old cut over, you know, or some edges going to cut over. So I'm looking for that, you know, fresh tracks, just circle them edges and cut overs and find fresh tracks and try to find an edge or some funnels by looking at the maps. And, uh, but I'm, I'm doing that, you know, cut over later on to me in later seasons is where most, most of your browsers are going to be. And plus you've already had a lot of pressure on that. Them cut, I don't know if y'all got cut over or cuts there, but ours here are thick, thick and deer can live in there all their life if they wanted to. So, but it's on certain man areas. So. And never be seen. Right. I mean, that's amazing. So that's some good habitat. A lot of people don't like seeing cuts. You know, that, that black warrior, that people don't like it. The locals that live around there, they don't like seeing cut trees and stuff like that. But for for a lot of animals, it's it's a lot of benefit. So. Well, you go to a place like Chattahoochee National Forest and sit and watch a deer. You may sit there for a week and never see a deer because there's no yeah. undergrowth. There's nothing for them to eat. So and what people don't realize is if, if they can get – no sunlight down to the ground. There's just a canopy because you got all these old growth trees. You're not going to have animals there. Sorry, it's just not going to happen. So they don't have anything right. to eat. They're not going to be there. Ain't gonna, just like you, Nick. You're not going to come over here no. if I don't feed you. So. No, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, Michael, you know, we could go through a thousand different scenarios here. Um, before we get off of here, I do want you to tell us what's what's on your mind for the future. You know, what have you got worked up? Have you got any plans for the you know, upcoming year that may be interesting for people to follow along. I know you got a YouTube channel and you do some stuff on social media. So what's, what's, can everyone look forward to seeing out of you over the next 12 months? I'm just going to try to keep promoting public land. That's, that's just what I want to do. I'm, I don't have any, you know, lockdown plans going. I'm going to go to, I am going to go to the, I'm a, I don't know. I like, I like looking at different types of hunt stuff like that. We already got reservations to go to the SCI thing in nashville i don't know if y'all heard about that or any interesting stuff like that so we're gonna go pop up that and just check out some different things i i love i don't know if y'all noticed i've done some brown bear hunt a arctic grizzly hunt mountain lion hunt i love stuff like that some of that dangerous stuff just 
I don't know. I'm I'm kind of edgy on stuff like that. So I just I love so I love doing it. So I just want to go. I've always wanted to go to the SEI convention, just see some of that stuff, and just 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 overlook it and just get my thoughts about what I might want to do because I want, I got like a bucket list of stuff that I would like to do in my life before it gets too late. So I'm I'm trying to figure out a way to do some stuff like that. I'm just a if you, I didn't we didn't really talk about it, but I'm just a plant worker. I've been working at a chemical plant for 25 plus years now. I work 12 hour swing shifts. So I'm not a rich guy or anything like that. And you know, I wrote this book this past year, so promote that some more, I guess, and then you know do that. So, but just keep you know meeting people and talking to them about hunting and just sharing the my love for it. You know, the love for the outdoors. Period. Just you know, me and my wife, and so just we just love promoting it and help, you know doing it and talking to people. So, just you know, you know follow us on the Facebook, the YouTube, uh, Instagram, and you know send me personal messages. I answer. Nearly all of them, you know, as long as you don't get too rough with me. Somebody will get rough with me every now and then. But, hey, it just is what it is. I, don't, I mean, I'll just deal with it. But I'll talk to anybody that I can. What is the title of your book, Michael? Good Lord. Why would you have to ask me that? Uh-huh. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I don't, uh, you can look it up on Amazon. It's uh, Secrets to... Taking mature bucks on public land, something like that. I don't know. It's like, I can't even remember it. You I was trying to get you a plug. I was trying to get you a plug in here. Get to get well, some sales up on that thing, maybe. Uh, well, hopefully you can put a link on it for it. But it's it's like secrets to hunting public land bucks, something like that. But anyway, there's you know people give me crap about that secret because there is no secret really to killing a big buck. You got to put the work in. So it's it's basically, but it's got stories on there on specifically how I killed mature bucks that I killed. So it's so I, well, you could call that secrets, but it's you know it's tips and you know how to scout and stuff like that. So, so you can find it on Amazon. So uh, yeah, um, a, or you can it's message ava- me. So available on Amazon. Cody just looked it up. It's Deer Hunting Secrets to Taking Mature Bucks on Public Land by Michael Perry. If you want to catch a copy of that, know how the hammer himself is killing all these deer. He's got all the secrets in there. He laid it all out for you. You'll be killing 200s in no time if you go read that book. So get you a copy. First and foremost, go get you a copy. But make sure you follow along with Michael. And, And I definitely want to spin up some future conversations on some of the things we touched on tonight and we've done that before kind of give an overview of someone introduce our listeners to them if we get good feedback they give us questions they're like hey you should ask this hey you should ask that maybe we can have you back on at a future date and discuss early season versus late season kind of what you touched on a little bit there nick so um yeah you know bow hunting because i love bow hunting i love motor hunting so and i I killed a deer the other day it's the first deer i've killed with the suppressor i mean that's if you're not even thinking about a suppressor or want to think about it, that's something you really need to look into. I got my wife one. She hasn't killed anything yet with it. But that, for kids and women and for hunters, period, it takes the noise away from your ears. It, it reduces recoil. I mean, it's amazing the, the uh, of the tool that it is. And it's, it's bull crap that it's so hard to try to get one. But it's, man, they're, they're an awesome tool. So. It sounds like a twenty-two going off shooting a thirty-out six with a hundred eighty grain bullet, and the, the, the deer don't know what hit them. So. <laughs> too many, too many outlaws for that to not not be too hard to get. <laughs> we won't, we won't have a big buck left, Michael, if everybody goes and buys one of them. <laughs> oh, that's that Outlaws gonna be outlaws regardless, but. I'm, a rifle crack ain't gonna stop them, Nick. It ain't stopped them since deer hunting became about, so it ain't gonna stop them now. I don't know too many people that's up at two o'clock in the morning when the outlaws is out. So, yeah, 
because uh, y'all talk about the coyote hunting at night being legalized stuff like that. So that's, you know, there's a lot of people worried about that because all the thermal imaging and the night vision stuff that's available now, you know, you know, if outlaw want to be outlaw, I guess he could do whatever he wanted to do, but I'm, you know, but not me. So it's, I want to do it the, the right way, the tough way, the public land way, you know. So, you know, I like doing some guided hunts, you know, too, but a public land deer is, is one of the hardest things they are to do. And it's, there's nothing, you know, more exciting, than, especially with a bow of, you know, of accomplishing that because you got to get so tight quartered with them. So, but, there's nothing better, and that's what I really love doing. You know, like I say, I like doing some, you know, guided bear hunts and stuff like that. Cause you pretty much got to have a guide to do that. But just, to, just, to, just to have a different experience. But you know, public land deer hunting is is the thing I love love doing. Michael, I I appreciate you coming on here tonight. I appreciate you taking our message and be willing to do this. Um, I hope you guys have a good rest of the season. I hope you guys tag a couple more deer. Maybe your wife can get on one with that suppressor. And I'd I'd love to have you back on to talk about some of that bear hunting that you've been on, and um, we we had many bear guests, so one, um, yeah, one, one bear so guest. So. We'd we enjoy to come back on, and if if we don't um if we don't link back up with you, we'll we'll probably see you in Alabama. I'd say unless you're coming up to NWTF. Y'all gonna be in Tennessee National yeah. NWTF? Yeah, we'll be at NWTF. Yeah, that's the week before that. Yeah, I was thinking about it. We'll see. So, but that's it's very possible. I think I'm off that weekend. So, but yeah, yeah hey, yeah, there, I mean, that bear hunting thing, I can tell you, boy, you sleeping in a tent with that big old bear tracks out there in front of your tent door. That's, that's nothing better than that. Say, say that. Say it. Yeah, no, I ain't. I don't, I that's that. a good teaser there for a good teaser for, for a future episode. And when you're at that SCI banquet, make sure you uh, stop by and see our old buddy Cal Hardy. He's one of the one of the board members down here in Georgia now. Make sure you stop by and see him. Tell him tell him we sent you his way. <laughs> you both, Travis, Cody, y'all got anything? No, I'm good. I, I've got a lot of other questions on follow-up episodes, so, but I'm good. No, I just appreciate you guys having me on. I learned a lot. Probably lear- learn how me and Nick like to go back and forth <laughs> with each other. That's about the only thing we've taught him, Michael. <laughs> Michael, good luck to y'all. Michael, good luck to y'all, man. Y'all stay safe over there with this weather conditions, and uh, happy new year. Hey, thank y'all. Happy New Year's, y'all, and I appreciate y'all having me on. Talk to you soon. God bless. Well, everybody, that was the Alabama Hammer himself. And I think all we've done here is opened up a segue for maybe a Michael Perry series. He can read some excerpts from that book for us, Nick. Oh, I can't wait, man. I can't wait to get him back on and talk about some bear hunting. Did you hear similarities to, to Rendell Eric and yes. some of those yes. things? Yeah. That's all I could, yes. Made very similar comments. Um, the only one I didn't hear him say was the leeward leeward edge of a ridge that Rendell always says, but he gave that wagon wheel and talking about thermals and the way they push. It's a very interesting concept. Dan DeWitt, same way, talked to talked on thermals and <laughs> we we could get Dan back on. I'd like to get Dan and Michael on at the same time. We'd never have to say nothing. We could just turn the record button on. God, and let you could get go. them too and, and uh Rendell and just sit down in a room. Yeah, just just go for it. <laughs> have a have a four and a half hour podcast and be on one subject, thermals. Yeah. For sure. Well, what very, else you got? Yeah, no. It's very interesting because, you know, I've been going up to the mountains for half my life up there hunting and like alex said you go up there for three years you might say three deer mm-hmm. you know but a lot of that's got to do with like he said yeah, the, the yeah. no browse i mean yeah, there's just nothing to eat you and and i haven't i've walked what i think's a lot up there but i haven't found those and i've seen some bucks but i haven't found those areas that where they're staying because where i go 
you're lucky if you see one. So, well, and one thing he said, you're going to blow them out of those laurel thickets, and that's usually what we do every time we walk mm-hmm. in up there, because that's the only place, that's all there yeah. is. There's a laurel thicket, and there's nothing else for them to be in. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're set wide open, big timber. Now you take and turn and go over to Dawson Forest, where there's been blowdowns and there's mm-hmm. been logging in the area and things like but, that. But that's a buck management place, right? That has a. Um, you're talking hunt- WMA over National Forest. Well, Dawson Forest also has a hunting preserve right next to it. You know, I don't know six. 100 acres of big canoe that you can't take a deer in right so i mean it's a basically a safe haven that's why there's always usually you know pretty decent bucks get mm-hmm. killed in there they're uh, giant bucks get killed on <laughs> dawson forest there's some boys that know where to go to get them too yeah, and they don't open but so many doe days because they're managing it so well um god i had a question i do i do think that and that's something that that i've thought on a lot especially seeing deer this year we got a doe problem and i don't you go by a field and you see 20 does in it and you don't see a single buck there's a doe problem around here i mean and i'm gonna do my damnedest over the next they give us 12 doe tags for a reason i mean i'm I'm sorry they give you 12 sorry um you can can you you can't no you can't tag you can't substitute them i don't think god who would want to yeah but still i mean they there's somebody doing that research to determine that the deer numbers are off that much they're not just being like they're not they're not just putting a bunch of numbers in a hat and shaking it up and be like, all right you've got 12 deer this year <laughs> but right. i mean and that's the thing you drive by i've seen more deer this year than i ever have you don't drive by a field that's a place somebody can't hunt and there's a lot of them around here and not see eight or ten there there in an evening a good evening yeah. i mean it's in generally i'll stop and throw the throw the knocks up and look because <laughs> i keep them in the car with me what's out there and it's generally does those are fonts. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. not these big bucks that you like to see running around. They're over there in the edge of the woods waiting on dark because, hey, my ladies is out there in the field. I ain't got to go out there till dark because mm-hmm. Jimmy's sitting over there with his suppressed 30 out 6 in thermal <laughs> waiting to catch me. I had a good question. That I lost it. Saw uh, Went coyote hunting this week and saw um, 84 deer in a field. And I'll tell you where it was off the air. Never seen so many deer wow. in my entire life. We count. I sat there and counted eighty four deer that I could see from our vantage point within three hundred fifty four hundred yards. Never seen so many deer in my entire life. And bucks could see bucks and could so bright out. You yeah. could see their horn. You know the outline of their horn. Saw some really really nice bucks in the mix. I I would give anything to deer hunt this piece of property, but. When you hear this, my old hunting partner ain't gonna say his name because I don't want y'all calling him <laughs> Hooky Boy up because it's a uh, it's an amazing place and I I'm just I was blown away. I never would have dreamed, but seeing deer, if I see deer in the field, I ain't seen no dang coyotes. That's the the one thing that yeah. kills me. If I see a deer there, I'm like, well, I ain't gonna see a coyote here. Then it's whatever. Do you think somebody could take this episode though that that he's done and and as successful it is as a mountain hunter? And and, I, and again, I know. You know, more than fifty percent of it's going to be luck. If you, you know, but do you think somebody can take this episode and take something that he said off of it and use it for a mountain hunting? Because primarily, probably most of the people that listen to our show are probably from the south, or they probably hunt mountains like we do. So, do you think that there's just a big tip there that people? You think it's because he kept saying tracks, tracks. Mm-hmm. Did y'all notice how many times he said yeah. tracks? So he, he he said he didn't pay a lot of attention to. Sign. Rubs Sign. and scrapes, yeah. and that's one of the things that I always look for because I went and checked the scrape line this year, and I was disappointed when it didn't have scrapes in. But I never really, I'll be like, oh man, there's some tracks through here. You yeah. Know? Do you think we just overlook the simple things? 
tracks, trails, and, I think and we're looking we can, for scrapes and horn trees. We're looking to put our feet out or what our cameras are telling us. Well, we've already talked about that. <laughs> yeah. We've said that time and time again that baiting has ruined woodsmanship. Yeah. I mean, and I'm mm-hmm. not, I'm no different than anyone mm-hmm. else. It is, if you're not going and doing like what Travis is talking about, he's doing now and going and finding these places and hunting on public ground where you can't bait, you're just going and sitting over a feeder. You're not doing yourself any favors because, yeah, you're going to kill a, there's going to be an opportunity to kill a big deer, especially this late in the year. That hard, cold front we had, deer were on their feet. They were hitting corn. They were doing their thing. But at the same time, if you're putting bait out there and you're constantly going there and that deer learns your pattern, you're hurting yourself. I mean, I, I had a deer dead to rights, and he disappeared. And I honestly believe I screwed it up going into another spot on it because mm-hmm. I haven't seen that deer since. And I told you, I said, I think yeah. I blew that deer out of here. And he shows right back up. He's not been back. I mean, he does show back up. He'll show back up next year, probably. Probably, and, yeah, it, and yeah. he'll be all at night or her, hopefully early season. I'm I'm determined that if you don't get them killed early, you're going to be hard-pressed to get one killed around here. If you don't get it done in those first couple of weeks, it's a tough it's a tough road to hoe until it gets down to the rut time. I mean, it's that October lull, they can call it a false myth or whatever they want to, but it's a thing here around our area, and I've seen it hardcore this year. So... <laughs> biggest tip i took away from it though was like you said find the find the tracks look for that stuff yeah hunt the terrain features and don't rely so much on scrapes and rubs and i think you find a deer's core bedding area around that stuff if you see a bunch of scrapes uh, and rub trees he's somewhere close yeah he's mm-hmm. he's gonna check that stuff uh, and like what we learned with dave you know you you put a sin in there that he doesn't recognize and he's never smelled before he's going to come back to wonder what the curiosity killed the cat and killed that deer i honestly believe that so take it for what it's worth use your mock scrapes and don't necessarily focus on just looking at stuff because you can do I, I guess it's legal to do a mock scrape on public land yeah i don't think that's i have considered. no idea i hope so i mean i would i would have never seen anything it's not baiting i mean you're not baiting anything no. you know? i wouldn't think so as long as you took up if you had something there one thing that i thought was pretty interesting that i took away because of that land i know that track that i hunt it's a 600 acre track but it's part of about five thousand acres up there you know what he said is you may have a buck in the area but if that buck may not return to that area for three to four days where, where we talk about sitting there not seeing any deer i think being persistent in those areas once you figure out their main travel path it may take you four or five days to see a deer like me and alex talk about when we go up there don't you don't have to see a bunch but you just want to see the right one but and finding those groups of does that's something i've never been able to do up there is really hone in on just a group of does so yeah i I think some great information i do think it is great information i think it would i think it'd be hard for for people like us and other people that get to go and travel and or hunt decent spots where you can you can you know that i i can go sit over here i can see a deer Mm-hmm. And then you go to a mountain place and you're like, I can't hunt here three days in a row. I'm not going to see a deer, you yeah. know, or if I do see a deer, it's either going to be a good one or it might be a doe or something. I think you get yourself in that mindset. And, and, and I don't know if Michael hunts out of, I don't know if he goes to the Midwest or not. And maybe he keeps himself away from it. So he doesn't have that feeling that he can't come back home and be back at home in the, in the public ground. Cause I find myself that way sometimes. And it's, it's sad. But I feel like I can't go sit over there because I'm not going to see nothing. And sometimes I need to just go hunt or go scout. And I kind of I kind of done that some this year. 
if I went to a place, a lot of times I would just kind of sit. I'd walk a little bit, do a little scout, and sit down next to a tree and kind of just just kind of get out and, and observation set some of these places instead of just going to climb up the tree and sit until a certain time, hitting the road. <laughs> yeah. like, well, it place sucks. It ain't no good. Well, hey, when the deer what time out? Oh, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop you there because uh-huh. I want to do another episode tonight. Let's go. <laughs> so let's let's let we can talk more on that and what we've learned from this year because okay. we we do got Travis here. So let's let's let him tell his story a little bit. So y'all come back and listen to the next episode. We're gonna let the I think I'm gonna introduce him as the kayak ninja because <laughs> he is or, or the uh, the uh, body surfer. What is that thing you use? That uh, body paddle or uh, oh, I got a paddleboard that I paddleboard. Use paddleboard. That, that, that's it. The paddleboard ninja will return on the next episode. So y'all make sure you go check out Michael Perry on Instagram. Check him out on Facebook. Check his YouTube page out. I don't remember the name of the title of that book. Uh, the secrets to killing a mature buck on public land. Come over and see us this year at the World Deer Expo and take a gander at that magnificent whitetail, an absolute giant in any state, but especially Alabama, and kill with a muzzleloader at that. So y'all come check us out. Let us know if you need anything. Uh, NWTF will be coming up real soon. Go over and check out the website, new apparel dropping daily. Everyone here at Talk About It Outdoors, want to remind you to smile as you go, but don't forget, mouth the memories. Building the foundation of your life starts at the base, and the stronger it is, the better. Talk About It Outdoors is proud of our strong partnership with United Concrete and Paving and the foundation of support they provide. Whether your new home being built needs concrete work or that driveway you're tired of beating all the bearings from your pickup needs a paving, Michael and his team can provide any residential or commercial project support you might need from the ground up. If you're tired of tripping over that unsettled patio slab or a future shop build needs a smooth start, United Concrete and Paving can get you going when you need it most. Give them a call at 404-831-3036 and make sure you tell them them TAI boys are where you heard it first. A few years back, when an overbearing and overgrown backyard became an eyesore, I looked for a solution to resolve. LRS Land Services created a stunning and complete transformation turnkey at an affordable price with their mulching services. Not limited to mulching, LRS can provide turnkey grading and clearing, maintenance, right-of-way clearing, and even development for any and all forestry needs. With an innovative outlook on what is best for your land and a completely different approach than others, LRS can transform your overgrown eyesore into a beautiful landscape of your dreams. Give them a call at 404-889-1105 or check their work out on Facebook at LRS Land Services. Logan and his team are ready to make your land brand new again. Are you in need of a decluttering? barn or garage slap full of stuff you just don't need or is your construction site needing a dumpster give our buddy tony at georgia junk and dumpster rental a call with services ranging from junk removal to roll-offs georgia junk is here to help with any and all removal needs if it's time to get that parking spot back or the boat needs a place inside tony and his team can surely assist Servicing Cherokee, Cobb, Bartow, and surrounding counties, give them a call at 404 406 
888-382-3501 or check them out on Facebook at Georgia Junk. Clean up the yard in short order with Georgia Junk. <laughs> 